Good morning to each of you. In the last couple of days, for some reason, my mind kept going back to the theme of hope and uh, the need, how much I need hope, how much each of us as believers need hope, and just really when you start digging into it, how much the theme of hope is woven throughout Scripture. So I want to look at that uh, this morning. Brandy is telling me I forgot to turn on my mic. Um, for any of you here that, uh, that may be bored or have a few minutes this afternoon, I ran across an interesting idea. Here's a website called futureme.org, and it was started in 2002, and basically what it does is it allows people to come in here and type a letter to themselves, and then they pick when they want to receive it, or they can post it publicly and do it in an anonymous way. And uh, since the people started this website, there's been over 10 million letters that people have sent to their future self. So if, uh, if that seems like something that you want to do, um, you can do that this afternoon or anytime. Why do people do that? And as I was thinking a little bit about it, I think part of the concept is that we, we have hope for the future, or maybe the letter would send something forward to remind ourselves, let's be thankful about this, or let's not forget this. But often people would write, I hope by now that you have fill in the blank, and you know, that some situation has changed or something about their life has changed. Um, and so this is one interesting way that people try to send themselves a little hope for the future. I was thinking about, uh, just about hope, and you know, God has designed us to need, uh, as humans that we need to have hope in our lives. We're designed to live without it. And one of the worst feelings that we can have, thank you, Alvin, is that if you lose hope, really what we're saying is that you know, it's, things are just never going to change. And so then in those situations, um, we can, can lose our hope. Proverb, Proverbs 13 actually tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So hope that does not come to pass actually has the effect of making our heart sick but a desire that is fulfilled is a tree of life. So I'm not here to preach and to launch into a sermon that says that everything that we hope for and everything we desire for has to come about. But this is just, to me, speaks to how core this is, how God designed us as, as people uh, to live with hope. Proverbs 42 describes, or Proverbs Psalm, describes the feeling of when we don't have hope. And this actually is a very hopeful psalm, but I won't read all of it. Uh, verse 5 describes what happens when we don't feel hope. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And we've, I think we probably have all been there, that feeling of without hope we feel just burdened and cast down, and then... The psalmist describes it as a turmoil or like raging water going on in our soul. So that's what it feels like when we don't have hope. Um, today, I basically want to look at a Christian's hope. What is it? How does it grow? And why is it so important? So what is a Christian's hope? How does it grow? And why is it so important? And before we go on, just, I want to just clarify a couple of things about what I'm talking about. What is the difference between hope and optimism? Any difference between hope and optimism? 
So people are nodding that, yes, there is a difference. Anybody want to risk an answer? What's the difference between hope and optimism? We need both at times. So I would describe optimism as just we're, we're looking at the best case scenario or choosing to look at a positive side of things. And hope goes much deeper than that. I'll also ask you, what is the difference between hope and just a wild wish? What is the difference between hope and a wild wish? Is it not what we're hoping in or what we're hoping for? And so as we go through this, a Christian's hope is real, and it, it is the anchor of our life because it, our hope is anchored in something that is real, that will last, and that can inform our life. It is not just optimism, and it certainly is not just a wish. So the word for hope is, I mean, hope is used a lot through the Bible, and, and it basically has the idea, a couple of things. One is just that you're waiting for something. And if you think about it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't wait for something that you don't expect to happen. Um, if I need to catch a bus somewhere, I'm not going to stay at the bus stop if I don't think the bus is going to come. So hope always has the idea of waiting. And it gets a little worse than that, actually. It has the idea of having some tension that you're just waiting for something to happen. And this can be good or bad, that, but it's just there's a tension. And I wish that I would have brought a balloon along here this morning. Do you know that feeling of just, has anybody ever blown a balloon up until it pops? Just kind of for the fun of it. When I was about 8 to 12 years old, for some reason I thought that was fun. Just that feeling of like, when is it going to pop? I can get one more in and then it pops. That's a bad example, but a little bit of the feeling that hope has, but in a good way. There's, there's a tension. There's like, when is this going to happen? And as believers, our hope has, it's real and it's present, but there's a little bit of that future tension uh, involved in it. So I'm going to look at uh, what is our hope as a believer, and I'm going to start in the most unlikely of places. Um, we are going to start in Lamentations 3. So Lamentations 3 is a, it's one of five poems that literally are laments, and they were often used um, almost like uh, even a funeral poem. And there are five chapters, and we're going to start in Lamentations 3. So Israel had sinned, God sent Babylon to punish Israel, and things are so bad that they were under siege for a year and a half, there was a famine. During the night, the king and his army escape uh, and run away. So can you think of any worse scenario? You're, you're stuck, you're under siege, and the army that's supposed to protect tries to run away during the night. They all get captured. The king's sons, everybody is killed. The king is taken into, uh, is taken into captivity. And here are here is some chapters writing out of that situation. And I'm going to read um, a fair amount of this chapter, Lamentations 3. And you may not feel a lot of hope initially, and that's okay. Um, so we'll read... Um, I'm going to read out of the New American Standard chapters 1, or verses 1 through 18, and then I'll, I'll switch to the screen uh, to go through the rest. So just listen to a lament of somebody in a situation that feels hopeless. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. 
Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell, like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with travail, with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. So here is a very honest lament of somebody pouring out their heart to God and saying, listing the things that have happened, the punishment that they've had to endure. And the interesting thing to me is this is a, I mean, in Psalm, Psalms and in, in Lamentations, these are made uh, to be shared personally, and they're also even to be read as a group. And so lament and being sad does not mean that we are without hope. So here's somebody that is pouring out their emotions in response to what they're seeing. It almost seems like there's permission to vent our emotions to the Lord, and I would say there actually is. Beyond permission, there's an invitation from God to pour out um, what is on our heart. He's facing and naming the pain and the frustration, bringing it all to God. And then I want to pick up on the screen uh, in verse 19. So he's being very honest about the hard things that he's facing. And then he tells himself, remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. So he says, keep on looking back. It's okay. Wormwood and gall has the, the idea of things that were very bitter to drink. And so he says, remember all of that. And then he says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So again, the idea of being cast down and bowed down without hope. But then he goes on from there. And here's where everything shifts and where we have to understand the Christian's hope um, as opposed to optimism or a wish or those kinds of things. In verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So he's being very honest about what's happening. He's being very honest with his emotions and what's on his heart. And he's saying, I'm calling this to mind and this will actually bring me hope. Reminder of hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So when he was dealing in a situation where it appeared there was no hope, this is what he goes back to. And he, I want to point out a couple of words here. He talks about the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Uh, the King James would say it's because of his mercies that were not consumed. Um, but the idea for steadfast love there um, is a word that's used over 250 times in the Old Testament, and we translate it all different kinds of ways, uh, trying to capture the meaning of it. So 
It can show up as compassion, mercy, steadfast love, or loving kindness. And here it's um, translated as steadfast love. So I won't go into all these details, but Michael Card wrote a whole book trying to define this word. And at the end, here's what he said. It means, when the person from whom I should expect nothing gives me everything. When the person from whom I should expect nothing gives me everything. That's kind of, that is his definition for what is meant by the steadfast love of the Lord. And then it talks about his mercies, and I found this so interesting. That word is literally the same root as the word for womb. So if you think about how a baby is cared for and protected in the womb, uh, that's the word um, that is translated mercies here. I find that really interesting. So he calls to mind that God's, his, his love never ceases and his mercy never comes to an end. And then he goes on to say that they're new every morning. Why would he say they're new? He just tells us they don't ever end, they don't fail, but they're brand new every morning. What is meant by God's mercies being new every morning? If you're like me, um, often in life, I, you know, I can look at the day, but I, I want to look further down the road and know, okay, so how is this going to work out? Uh, is there going to be mercy for that? What, what's going to happen? And I think what God is saying is obviously the statement about his mercies being new. It's not saying his mercies get old in any way. But just the promise of God that his, his mercy for what I need for that day is brand new. That God always promises for that day to meet our need. And, and if I'm honest, like so often in my life, I, want, I just want, I want to know more. Um, but God does bring us back to this. And people who go through exceptionally hard and painful times often will use the phrase that we're going through it how? One day at a time. And that can sound cliche, but it is the only way that we are designed to get through things, is that God has mercy for us for that day, um, one day at a time. They are brand new every morning. Then he goes on to say, great is your faithfulness. So God, he's trustworthy. He's proven himself. himself. We don't ever have to wonder, will God come through? What will God be like? Great is your faithfulness. Then verse 24 says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. So I find this interesting. In, uh, at the start of this, he obviously has lost his hope, and he says, I'm calling something to mind. I need to remember something. And by the end of this, he's saying in his soul or in his heart um, that he's found hope, and the reason is that God is his portion. So when I talk about hope, it is simply this, that God is our portion. It's not in a circumstance, it's not in an outcome, but it is that God himself is our portion, our inheritance. He is our hope. Um, and he is the one that will bring, bring hope to our soul. So hope is in God. It is not in an outcome. Hope comes from God, and hope is in the very character of God. So hope is found in God, hope is from God, and hope is in the character of God. I don't have a whiteboard up here, but if I did, and if we would make a list on one side of all the things that we hope for, and on the one column say things that can change with time or circumstances that can change, and on the other side write down what are the things that cannot 
change. The list on the one side of things that can't change is very short. I mean, I can think of God, his character, and his word. And there's probably more, but it all ties back to God on the things that can't change. And so when we're, when we're looking at our hope, it has to be anchored over here on this side that does not change, and that is where God is our portion. And when God is all, he will give us hope. So God is our portion. Then I want to just read, uh, I won't read all of the chapter, but a few more verses to, to end this section. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may, be yet, there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And again, continuing the lament, but just want to draw our attention here at the end that God... God does cause good, what feels like to us, good and bad things. But it's always motivated by his mercy and that he does, um, he does this for our good. And there's 30 more verses in this lament that we'll, we'll leave there. So I want to look at just a couple of New Testament verses as well, or passages, again, defining what is the Christian's hope. And our hope is in God. Let's look at 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So a Christian's hope is... It's in the character of God, but it's also in, uh, in verse 3, it talks about out of his great mercy, we've been born again. And our hope is actually a living hope. It's alive because, again, our hope is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ. And because he is risen from the dead, our hope is alive. And our inheritance is really secure. He uses multiple adjectives to describe our inheritance that's saved in heaven. And just want us to notice that our inheritance is kept in heaven, and God is also guarding or keeping us. So even if we go through times where we feel like we're running out of hope, our hope is, is very secure, and God is also the one guarding us. So our hope is a living hope. Uh, Hebrews 6, yeah, just looking at the, what is a Christian's hope. Hebrews 6, verses, um, and I'm going to pick this up at 18, 18 through 20. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we're called here to hold fast to our hope in Christ and, and that it is actually an anchor for our soul. And so this anchor, um, it talks about that it's, it's steadfast and it's sure. It's, it is secured to something that's not going to move 
and the cable is going to hold strong, the anchor of our hope, and it actually is in the very holy of holies where God's presence is. And again, the passage reminds us that it is anchored to Jesus himself, and it is in, in God's presence is where our hope is. So we are to hold fast to that hope. So a Christian's hope, again, is not defined by what we're going through, but it is found in the character of God, and it is an eternal and a living hope. So I want to shift gears a little bit and uh, ask the question, how does hope grow in us? How does this hope grow in us? And we'll look at Romans 5, uh, and then another passage out of Romans. So Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we're standing in grace. We have hope of future glory uh, with God. How does this grow? And I wish I had an easy answer for you, but it's about to get more difficult. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. So we're standing in grace, we're talking about hope of glory, and then he's saying we, we, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And this is a theme that is repeated again and again in Scripture, that suffering and hard things actually um, produce endurance in our lives. And endurance produces character. So character has the idea that we've been, we've been tested, we know what's there. And so suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and then it is character that produces hope. So out of hard times and endurance and our character, hope is produced in our lives. And I would love as the pastor to tell you that if you're feeling the need for hope, that we can back hope up all the way to the start of that process. And and I know that we have. We have the hope of eternity and we have Jesus in us. But again and again in Scripture, it talks about when we live faithfully, when we endure, in the end, we have a hope that is tried and that we can, uh, can hang on to and know what's there. So character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we're not alone in this journey. God's Holy Spirit is poured out in our hearts, fills our heart with love, and that does, that does give us and fill us hope. And this kind of hope does not disappoint. I think we probably all have had times in life where we were hoping, looking forward to something, and then it just didn't quite live up to expectations. Have you all went through things like that? Where you look forward to something, you're hoping, and then, oh, it turns out to be a disappointment. God's hope does not not disappoint and will not put to shame. So the hope of God has grown in difficult times. The hope of God has grown in difficult times. Another way that God grows hope in our hearts is in Romans 15. And I happened to hear that this was read in the ladies' class as I was setting up up here. Romans 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Again, the idea that endurance produces hope, but God's Word will produce hope in our hearts. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you, no matter what we're going through, when we're running low on hope, God's word, God does promise in his word that the encouragement of scripture does produce hope in our heart. 
And we may not feel it immediately. It may be over the long haul, but God will speak hope to our heart through his word. And again, I wish there was something else there, but endurance is the first thing mentioned. So how does hope grow in the life of a believer? God grows it in hard times and through his word. That idea is also talked about in Romans, uh, or in Psalm 130. I won't read that. So I want to just look at one more thing. Why is hope so important in the life of a believer? And I invite you to Romans 8, um, verses 18 through 25. Why is hope so important in your life and in my life? In verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So God's love is in our heart, confirming that we are his children. Goes on to say, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And we could spend all Sunday talking about this, but we won't. But isn't it interesting that the creation around us is eagerly waiting for the hope to be revealed in those of us who have been redeemed in Christ? That creation is eagerly longing and looking forward to that. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. So we, we look around us and creation is beautiful and expresses God's character, but it's also fallen. And I, one example of this, I was thinking about um, this summer, our family went to New York and we hiked and we saw beautiful waterfalls and lakes got to enjoy water. But right at the, same, at the end of that week was Hurricane Ida. And you look at the destruction. So you see both the beauty and the power and the fallenness of creation. And God is one day going to redeem all of that. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, we, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So our hope is is in what we can't see. And why is hope so important? Because at the end here in verse 25, it tells us that if we really hope for something, that we will wait eagerly or patiently for what is to come. And so my hope will determine how I live. My hope will determine how I live. And that's one of the reasons that I believe that, that hope is so important in our lives. Why does it matter? First uh, John 3 talks to this. It says, he who has this hope purifies himself. So hope will change how we live. And if it's this important, do you think Satan will go after our hope? Try to get us discouraged, try to rattle our hope? Absolutely. And was thinking in uh, in First Thessalonians, the um, in the armor of God, we're told to put on the helmet, which is the hope of salvation. So it is it's part of our part of our defense. So I want to just acknowledge this morning that at times hope can be a battle for believers. 
it can feel like a hard battle, and that is because Satan wants to attack our hope. Um, I spoke about this a little bit earlier, but uh, in verse 25, it says that we, we wait for it with patience. And again, just whatever we believe to be true it will affect how we live. So it's talking about being on vacation. We booked, we bought tickets ahead of time uh, to ride this boat on the St. Lawrence River um, between the U.S. and Canada in an area called uh, Thousand Islands. Beautiful, just fantastically beautiful area. And you know what? We really believed that when we bought the ticket and we had the time on the ticket, the boat was going to leave when, we, when it said it would. And so the, you know, the, the day before, we got up earlier than we would have wanted to. We drove for three hours. We stopped for breakfast. We had a fantastic breakfast that we put in a to-go box all because we believed that if we stayed there and finished, we were about to miss this boat. We had our hopes set on getting on the boat. We thought it was real, and so it informed the way we lived. Um, we did make it on the boat. I won't stay on that picture long to avoid my family being irritated and, and saying that I'm embarrassing, uh, embarrassing them. So we made it on the boat ride and went and toured all these islands, and they're big islands and little islands and islands that people have bought to build castles and other islands that people buy just to build little houses on. Um, just a very interesting place to visit. But again, my whole point is our hope and what we believe impacted how we live. And if our hope is set fully in Christ, it impacts us right now in the days ahead and for all of, for all of eternity. And our hope our hope is sure, but I think sometimes, at least for myself, it's easy to, for, to forget and to understand how, how great our hope is in Christ and how sure it is. So I just want to remind us that it is a supernatural hope. Ephesians 1, one of the things that, that uh, Paul prayed was that the eyes of our heart would be opened so we could understand uh, the hope, to know what is the hope into which we're called. And so it does take God's work in us um, to remember the hope that we have in Christ. One last verse, Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So hope comes from God and uh, he can fill us with joy and peace and through his spirit we can abound in hope. In summary, there's... I want to just highlight five things about God's hope, and we could, could go through a lot more than these, um, but these are the five that I, I wanted to draw our attention to from the passages. So God's hope is found in God rather than situations. So God's hope is found in God rather than in situations. Number two, God's hope is rooted in the character of God. God's hope is rooted in the character of of God. God's hope is anchored in what Christ has done for me, and I'm so thankful that our hope as a believer, it, it takes care of all of the sins of the past, but it also takes care of everything looking forward in eternity. It is anchored in what Christ has done for me. God's hope is grown through God's word and perseverance. So God's hope is grown in my life through God's word and perseverance. And the last one is that God's hope is anticipating what God has promised in eternity. 
God's hope is anticipating what God has promised in eternity. And this is a hope that does not deny the reality of hard things happening right now. This is actually a hope that lets us live through hard times because of this and to look forward <clears throat> to, look forward to uh, what God has for us. I want to uh, just pray and ask God that he would, would fill our hearts with hope. If there are people here who are struggling to feel hope, just ask God to, to do that in you. And uh, also ask God's blessing on the food downstairs. So would you uh, stand and join me in praying? Lord Jesus, this morning I want to just pause and recognize you for who you are. God, thank you for your kindness, your love that never ends, that never fails, that's brand new every morning. God, thank you for the hope in Christ that is eternal, it's sure, it's living. And Lord, I just ask for each person here this morning that, that our hope, my hope could be set fully on you. God, on who you are, on your character, on your word. And uh, Lord, with that hope, just inform the way I live in this coming week. Um, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, if there are those here who are struggling to feel hope, struggling to walk uh, in hope, God, I ask in Jesus' name that Satan would be defeated in that and that uh, each of us would experience the hope and the mercy that we need for this day. God, I pray for perseverance and for patience. Uh, Lord, honestly, we would love if, if hope would be brought out through things other than hard times, but you say that you bring us through hard times and it does produce hope. And so, Lord, we, we have confident hope in that, uh, in, your, in who you are and that you're doing that in us. Um, so, Lord, I just pray that we could walk in hope today and this week and uh, honor you in our lives. Lord, thanks for the food that is downstairs. I pray your uh, blessing on our time together, and we receive the food as a gift from you. I just pray that you be honored and, and the church build up through spending a few, few minutes together and having a meal together. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.